Welcome to another episode of the SNC podcast. I am your host, Falashade Anozi. It has definitely been a while. <laughs> the struggle in my life is real, so please bear with me. I hope everyone is well, particularly with all that is going on in the country and the world at large. Please let's do our best to stay safe. Now, getting right to it, two weeks ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing the phenomenal and brilliant Mrs. Sandra Oyewole. She's a partner at Olajide Oyewole LLP, a member of DLA Piper Africa, and one of Nigeria's leading law firms. She heads the firm's intellectual property and technology practice and co-leads the firm's employment and global mobility practice. She is committed to the creation of structure within Nigeria's creative and innovative industries and the strengthening of Nigeria's anti-piracy and intellectual property laws and policies. Last year, she was named one of Business Day's top 20 women in business law. With the two hours that I got to spend with her, we discussed a variety of topics, including her background, the juicing strike, estate planning, intellectual property, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the interview. Good morning, Mrs. Oyewale. Morning, Shadi. How are you? Um, I'm fine, thank you. That's I mean, good. I think, I think that Nigeria is making me a little sad. <laughs> Not little, but... Um, quite sad, actually. I understand. There's just a lot going on in the world, and in this country in particular. Like every every day, it's like one story or the other. People getting attacked in traffic. People just, you know, it feels like we're just inching closer to a place we don't want to go to. We've actually been at that place for a long time, and it is very, very sad. It's actually heartbreaking. Welcome, man. That's a, I feel like if we go into this, you know, tangent, I don't, I don't want this podcast to be unnecessarily long, but it's just heartbreaking, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just this morning, I was on Twitter checking, um, checking some stuff, and someone was just saying that, well, I got robbed in Yaba, and, you know, they, they tried to steal my car, and um, they broke the sensor, so the car shut down, and they took his phone. You know, just so many things going on, and you know, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like our leaders are listening or, or aware. It is um, serious. And all we can, or one of the things we can do is to take it one day at a time. And wherever we can help, um, we do so. Mm -hmm. Security is a real issue. This is one of the times in my own life that I am very, very worried. Yeah. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully this interview will make me forget a little bit about Nigeria's issues. I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't think so, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> okay, let's be positive, man. Absolutely. All right, so you are a partner at Olajide Oyewole LLP, and you head the firm's intellectual property and technology practice. But before you became a partner, can you share a bit about your background and what led to your decision to practice law? Okay, I'd be happy to, and uh, I hope uh, the listeners find it just a little bit interesting. (laughs) Well, I qualified as a lawyer in the early 1990s. Um, The choice of the course I was going to study in university was really down to the subjects that I was good at, and it was um, English, Bible knowledge, generally the arts. So my options weren't that very varied or wide. So I studied, I chose law, um, got into the University of Choice. And once I qualified, I jumped straight into the workforce and have worked ever since. I started out at the chambers of Chief Rutimi Williams, Senior Advocate of Nigeria, as a youth corper, 
and I worked there uh, for about eight, nine years, uh, rising to the position of senior associate before I was made an offer at uh, where I am now. Then the firm was called Olajide Oyewole & Co. It is now Olajide Oyewole LLP. Um, it's been hard work. It's been listening to wise counsel. It's been a bit of luck. And I dare say the fact that I'm passionate about the work that I do, the fact that I love the work that I do, has made my journey interesting. It's, it's uh, made my journey what it is. And you spoke about the University of Choice. What university was that? Um, it was the University of Ife. Mm -hmm. And at the time that I was going into the university, uh, the name was being changed to Obafemi Awolowo University. That's interesting. And um, my mom went to Ife as well. So, I mean, I'm sure, would you agree that there has been a downward trend? Um, education generally um, has suffered in terms of quality and standard. I went to um, a federal government school, Queen's College, and um, where it was when I joined and where it is or where it has um, evolved to over the years, um, there, there are major differences. But it's not just the education sector, it's, it's um, a lot of sectors, but there are a lot of people working hard to try and reverse or change um, these issues relating to standard. But I went to a Nigerian primary school, a Nigerian secondary school, a Nigerian university. And with that education, myself along with um, thousands of other professionals are able to rise in their professions. They are able to engage with their counterparts worldwide. So Nigerian education at one time or um, in the not too distant past um, was of the quality and standard that it needed to be. And I'm not saying it, it, um, that all our universities are bad, no. As I said, there are a lot of good people working very, very hard to keep those standards. But it's, uh, it's not an easy country to operate in. Just take the simple issue of light and the need to provide power. At the start of this podcast, you spoke about security. Um, we all know what has been going on for years with children being kidnapped uh, across our nation. And it's one country. So if it happens in one part of the country, it certainly affects us in another part of the country. And there's nobody who can not be touched, affected um, by what is going on. It's, 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 it's a tragedy. It's, uh, like, how is this possible? People are just getting kidnapped. And people, are, like, I, someone called my mom um, two days ago saying that a guy in Ikeja was kidnapped and they now, eventually, they paid a ransom of 15 million. Like, what? I hope God not let me be kidnapped. But what was going to pay 15 million naira for? My, my, my mom would just say, oh, sorry, because why are you going to be getting 15 million? You know, and this has become big business. I haven't heard that maybe in Lekki. I don't know if that's true, that people are getting kidnapped here as well. Um, you know, so it's just the level of insecurity, like you said, and education, everything just seems like it's in shambles. It's a vicious cycle. Um, do people have jobs? That's not an excuse for going into a life of crime, but it contributes to um, deciding that, look, if I can't get a job, then maybe this is a viable option for me. There was a news feature where um, a criminal gang was being interviewed, and one of them did say that, look, I'm a graduate, and um, I've not been able to get work, so I decided to go into this life of fraud, uh, committing fraud for the purpose of making money, feeding my family. Doesn't make it right, but 
um, there are a lot of people that are in that life now because of the unemployment issue. Um, then there's also the issue of uh, the police doing what it is that they are doing. Because if you, are, if you know that if you commit a crime, there's a strong chance of you being caught, there's a strong chance of you being held accountable, those are the kind of things that act as deterrents. Um, no matter the bad news that you hear worldwide in some of the more advanced countries, they have criminal justice systems that work and more people are caught than not. And that serves as a big deterrent. And again, I am not saying that justice doesn't work in this country, but it does not necessarily work at the levels that we need it to work. I think we, I think we share different views on that mind in terms of justice working in Nigeria, but kind of going back to your career. Um, <laughs> the, um, when you look back on when you were senior associate and mm. now you're a partner, can you talk about the responsibilities that you now have as a partner that maybe as an asso senior associate you didn't think that maybe was important in terms of like managing people, in terms of um, how you approach, um, net, maybe even just networking, just to talk about the differences. Because I feel like, you know, a lot of times you may say, oh, I want to eventually become a partner at a firm or whatever. Mm. When you now get there, you see that it's different in how you have to um, manage those, um, I guess, positions. Mm. Well, um, let's look at roles and responsibilities. Let's look at the structure of the work. For starters, as a senior associate, you are an employee. As a partner, you are self-employed. You are running your own business. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of areas where there's a convergence in terms of the roles and responsibilities. Traditionally, if you're a senior associate, depending on the firm or organization you're in, that's like uh, a stepping stone to partner. So there are lots of areas where the roles and responsibilities are identical, um, from managing uh, the younger members of the team, to business, to different types of business development, um, to being part of the administration of the office and being at the table where decisions are being made. Uh, the fundamental differences are that for the partner, if you do not generate enough revenue, you may not go home with any money at the end of the month. Another fundamental difference is that you are responsible for the overall vision and mission and strategy of your organization. Um, you develop it. You identify your goals and objectives. You identify your smart initiatives. You also identify your key performance indicators. And you now have to work with your senior associates. You have to work with other members of the legal department as well as your business support to ensure that um, your vision, your mission, your strategy is actually implemented, right? And that is the kind of thing that will give you sleepless nights. That is the kind of thing that will cause you to wake up in the early hours of the morning to start working. So you've got that. And then you are also managing a number of relationships with a range of clients from individuals to multinationals uh, because you have to cultivate your own relationships with these clients. Um, that is what will ensure continuity of work. That is what will ensure a smooth tran transition from say a partner to um, an associate that is not a partner. So those would be what I would describe as the fundamental differences um, and uh, similarities between the two. Uh, the important thing is that 
you're working hard. The important thing is that you're enjoying what you're doing. The important thing is that you realize that there are ups and downs in any of these positions. And you just have to have um, wise counsel and you have to listen to that counsel in order to get through the lows and the downsides mm -hmm. of um, any of these positions. Yeah, that's that question because you know a lot of times when you are at a firm, whether it's a law firm or a consulting firm, people sometimes just think that, oh, as I'm a senior associate or an associate, the next thing I want to become is a partner. But I know when I was in law school, there were some people that came that were partners and some of them were actually honest that if they had it, if they could do it differently, maybe they wouldn't become partners because the responsibilities are enormous, you know? Or even if it's not enormous, maybe they just don't want to be partners because maybe it just doesn't excite them or challenge them that the way that they thought it would. So I just thought it was important to ask that because a lot of times we just feel like, oh, there's a trajectory we have to follow and it doesn't always have to be that way. It's an important question and I'm actually glad you asked it. Um, I have a member of my team, not yet five years post-call, and he asked me, he said, does it get any easier? And what he was talking about was the work volumes. And I said, unfortunately, no. The higher you rise, uh, the more responsibilities you have. Some of those responsibilities, maybe you aren't actually trained for them and you have to learn on the job. Not all of us have that natural ability um, to deal with some of the issues. If we look at the fact that our most important asset is our people, we are responsible for their emotional and mental health. We're also responsible for their medicals to a certain extent. We are responsible for their growth to a certain extent, their growth as professionals. And when you have some of the situations that you've had, I mean, if we look at what has happened with COVID-19, two weeks before Lagos State shut down, we had shut down and had started working from home. And we weren't necessarily trained to deal with some of the things that we needed to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, the, we have a lot of resources in terms of counseling, in terms of um, experts across board to guide us on how to manage the situations that we've had to deal with. And as I said, there was never any training. So you, you kind of like have to ride the wave. You, you have to be alive to your responsibilities and be there. Now, Let's just go to some depressing news. I think you may, dis you may disagree, but, you know. <laughs> Can we talk about the state of, you know, Nigeria's judiciary system? Mm -hmm. I'm sure, as you know, last month, members of the Ju Judiciary Staff Union of Nigeria and lawyers were protesting and alleging that the government is intruding on the judiciary's financial autonomy. Mm. And you, earlier you had said that you feel like in Nigeria, justice may be slow, but it is working. Hmm. It's a big question. Mm -hmm. And the important thing is to look at any response in context. Um, what is the legal profession? The legal profession is made up of qualified lawyers and it's made up of business support across board. The legal profession is also made up of law firms, it's made up of in-house lawyers, it's made up of our courts and a whole raft of other areas. It's not just the courts. And if you look, if you, if you conduct an overview, and that's where I would come from with my own responses, um, if you conduct an overview, it's a mixed bag that we're looking at. What does the legal profession do? 
you have estate planning. People want to draft their wills or people have died and the family members need help with their probate. That is part of the legal profession. You have podcasts like this where I'm going to sign off on a consent and release form. A lawyer drafted it. You have people who are in jail for one reason or the other. Some are still awaiting trial, and it is lawyers that are working very hard to get um, those people out of jail or to give them the right legal defense. You have policy, you have laws, you have um, regulations. Lawyers are the ones that are drafting that. You have um, our alternative dispute resolution platforms across the board, whether it's what Lagos State has done in the Ministry of Justice or what um, the various bodies have done in the forms of mediation and arbitration. I will even throw in the word intellectual property organization because uh, that's intellectual property. They have an office here and they have a dispute resolution desk to deal with all of this. So when you look at these and many more, that make up the legal profession. It's a huge employer of labor, right? And it is working in many instances. The instances that you're talking about, um, they are the bad news. And the bad news um, has to be spoken about to help to fix whatever it is, it is that is wrong. The strike that you mentioned, the strike is a form of protest. And protests and are very, very necessary to right whatever it is that has gone wrong or to correct whatever injustices that we're talking about. This strike is necessary, but it has caused a shutdown of the courts. Two examples of the um, price that have been paid are you have family that have flown in to have their wills read and two days later, sorry, to have the wills of their loved ones read and two days later, courts went on strike. We have a bail application that's pending. The person in question is in jail today because we cannot conclude on the bail application. It is sad, it is unfortunate, um, and much more. And I'm not in any way undermining the hardship. But you, progress is not without pain. Sure. It, it's not without a price. Sometimes the price is very, very heavy. But you need to do these things. Um, to, to get to where you want to get to. You know, yeah, that's a very fair point, Ma. That's actually fair. You know, looking at it from the context of totality, not just, you know, seg segmented, you know, view. So that's, that's actually true. I, I do thank you for that <laughs> perspective. I, I feel like I should say you're most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, I think that Nigeria sometimes has this, has this thing whereby it just makes you feel like nothing is working. Mm. Like nothing is working. Mm. And generally, that's that's literally, literally the case. But sometimes you see pockets of success stories mm. and it just kind of gives you hope sometimes. You, you have to focus on where you can deploy your own skills and where you can help. A podcast like this, why are you doing it? When we first spoke about this podcast, you have an audience that is listening to the interviews that you're conducting. And in those interviews, inf information is being shared, which would hopefully be helpful to your lit listeners. And what amounts to being helpful? Oh, this is where I can get help. This is where I can get the product I need. This is where I can get the service I need. So each of us in our own way is doing what it is that we can to help, yeah. right? It's not 
quite what we want. And truth be told, um, it's, the situation is actually dismal. It's abysmal. Um, you can use all the adjectives you want. But we can't focus on that. Mm -hmm. We have to focus on what it is we can do and make sure that we actually do it. And that's true. We're all, making, we're all trying to our best to make, make a difference in whatever way, shape, or form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still kind of going back to um, the state of the legal profession in Nigeria. Uh. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the hot seat I here. know, Ma. I know. I, I just, I'm sorry. I have to. <laughs> yeah, they were like, you're like the representative for, you know, all the challenges. But and I'm, I know you're going to, um, I know you're going to come out shining, giving me different perspectives and shining. Be objective. Be objective. <laughs> I want you to please talk about why it seems like a lot of, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of Nigerians would agree that decisions rendered by the courts no longer seem to carry any weight and people don't feel the need to obey them. From your perspective and being on the hot seat, how <laughs> <laughs> because this is a very um, this is a very important um, question because we do, I think that's what actually makes me feel like nothing is working. Mm. It just seems like everybody's just going mad. Mm. So can you speak about how do we change this mm. and can it even be changed? Mm. Are you familiar with a show called Judging Matters? Mm -mm. It's a Nigerian okay. show. It's a Nigerian show. It's on DSTV. And what it is, is you have a judge, Justice Olushola Williams, um, who is presiding. And you have Ebuka as oh, counsel. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And what are they doing on that show? They are listening to what can be described as small claims. You have your claimant and you have your defendant. DSTV did the first series, and it did so well that they've commissioned a second series. And when I say it did so well, what I mean is that outside of the entertainment value, you had disputes being adjudicated upon on that show by a judge of our high court, retired now, but a judge no less, right? And what am I saying? Disputes are a part of our lives, right? And when you cannot resolve those disputes between yourselves or among yourselves, you take it to a mediator, you take it to an arbitrator, you take it to the courts. And people are still going to all these platforms for resolution. Judging matters is one. In this state that we are in, Lagos, it has set up um, a forum for small claims in the Ministry of Justice in Alausa and they are dealing with tens of thousands of claims. Mm -hmm. Then you have our customary courts, our magistrate courts, our high courts, and ultimately the federal high courts dotted all around the Lagos metropolis. And they are kept busy by the number of cases that they are dealing with and presiding over. And I make this point to say that if it wasn't working, you wouldn't have these number of cases. Mm -hmm. There is more compliance than not. And you will have the high-profile cases where um, somebody did not comply with the court order. You have a lot of that. But then you have many more judgments that are complied with. It may not be when you want that compliance to happen. The judgment may not be quite what you were expecting or what you wanted, but ultimately, People are getting judgment and people are complying with those judgments. And to come to um, the second part of your question, how do we get people to change it? 
truth be told, if, if I have a judgment in my favor and the other party has failed to comply, I'm going right back to my judge, uh, sorry, to my lawyer to ask what are the options? And the lawyer will have the options, right? And it is those options that you now implement. Another aspect of it is, is it the fault of the court if the party in whom judgment is against fails and refuses to comply? Because we all are citizens. Um, we all have our civic responsibilities. And the laws are there for organization. Without laws, we would have chaos. You know, so uh, the exception to the rule, the people who fail to comply, they also have to be held accountable. Yeah, yeah, yes, I I agree, but I think that the the people who, like you said, fail to comply, they get uh, more publicity, of and it just empower. <laughs> <laughs> bad news sells. Bad, bad news sells, right? I mean, let's look at, you mentioned the juice on strike. Why are, are they on strike? There are court judgments that are upholding the cause that some people have failed to comply with. For whatever reason, they have failed to comply, right? And they're on strike now. So that strike is one of the ways to push for compliance. This is not the first time that Juson has gone on strike. Um, in one of the earlier strikes, they got some, um, uh, they made some progress in terms of um, the financial autonomy that was required slowly but surely began to be issued or to be given as it were. But it's, it's a long, hard road and um, striking, protesting, one of the ways in which you can push for that to happen, right? But I would hazard a guess, I mean, I haven't done a survey and I'm not looking at any um, formal reports on this, but the majority of people will comply, right? And um, if you don't comply, why aren't you complying? Because Nigeria does not comply with me. Nigeria is not able to comply with the citizens. Citizen. So wh wh how are we going to expect people to... <sighs> no, that... It, 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 but, but I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to look at it from that perspective. But do you think that it is a perspective that it is an understandable perspective? There are reasons for people thinking that Nigeria doesn't work. Is it the light situation? Is it security? Is it education? But we can't afford to focus on what is not working. What we have to do is, for anybody that is in a position to help, we have to help. It could be as simple as giving the beggar money. It could be taking it upon yourself to house that beggar, to clothe that beggar, right? It could be on a much bigger scale where you are giving scholarships to um, families and children that need it. It could be setting up um, centers that deal with abuse, right? Um, whether it's in women and children or um, other um, members of society. There's so many things. There's no country in the world that doesn't have issues. This just happens to be the country that you're in and you have to help, <laughs> you have to help. Okay. Having I'm said that, it's complicated, it's not easy, and nobody should underestimate or undermine the problems that we have in the country, not at all. Now, um, I want to talk about lawyers, young <laughs> lawyers like myself, who maybe are not practicing and those that are practicing. Mm. So I'm sure you heard about a few months ago on Clubhouse, Nigerian lawyers were trending for sharing awful stories that they had experienced working at firms in Nigeria. And, and one thing I want to just quickly ask is, 
lots of people actually noted if lawyers who are supposed to be going to jail to bail someone out is going through all these issues of sexual harassment in in their place of work how can they even effectively do their job so can you speak about that abuse and harassment in the workplace is a very serious issue what is wrong is wrong Nobody should be abused, nobody should be harassed in their workplace or indeed in any part of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I am very sorry, very sorry for anyone who has experienced this or is experiencing such. It is wrong. Let us be very clear about this. Knowledge is power. The International Bar Association, a couple of years ago, conducted a global survey that included um, African countries and um, Nigeria to boot, uh, sorry, Nigeria inclusive, on abuse and harassment in the workplace. And it helped show the scale of the problem. It's not restricted to sexual abuse or harassment. It's physical, it's verbal. It's also not restricted to females alone, both male and female. It is not from top down only. It is not from the boss to the employee. It can be employee and employee. Mm -hmm. Habiba Balogun Consulting um, also conducted its own survey. This was n not necessarily the legal profession and it also provides some very important statistics as well as some very important definitions. So this data helps us to understand the scale of the problem. And knowledge is power. And I say that because when you are talking about how to tackle it, the first thing is speaking out, speaking up. For some of my classmates who experienced um, harassment either in the workplace or in one educational institution or the other, many did not speak out. And it's understandable, you are traumatized, you are scared, right? But speaking out, if you have the courage to speak out, you must speak out. Also knowing where to go to for help. As lawyers, the Nigerian Bar Association is one of your ports of call. It is not your only port of call. It's one of your ports of call. Coincidentally, in February this year, 2021, the Nigerian Bar Association released the list of new committees. I believe there are 22. And one of them in particular is the Disciplinary Committee. And it is available and open to all lawyers. So if you are in an abusive situation, if you are being harassed and your office does not have policies in place to deal with it, they do not have a help desk, they do not have a go-to person to deal with it, the MBA is an option, the disciplinary committee. But you have to report it. If you don't report it, it's uncertain that much can be done. And it takes me back to the offices. It is incumbent on all organizations, whether you're a law firm, in the financial sector, or any other sector, to make sure that this issue is properly addressed. And that was why I mentioned what Habiba Balugun had done, because this kind of information is now being shared with organizations across board for the purpose of understanding that this is a real issue and it needs to be addressed. If you really mean that, if you really mean what you say, which is that your people are your most important assets, 
Remember I'd mentioned mental and emotional well-being? Mm -hmm. This is part of it. And you must have practical policies in place. There's no point in having a policy that nobody really, first of all, nobody even knows you have that policy. Then it's a bit ambiguous, so it doesn't even address these issues. People must feel that they are protected if they report a case of abuse or harassment. People must even understand what abuse and harassment amounts to because sometimes our own culture or the way we were brought up or what we've seen um, doesn't necessarily make us think that what we're doing is wrong, you know. So apart from having the policies in place, there must be training for the employers and the employees across board, driving home the point. And it's over time that you will be able to reduce this wrong. And it's a collective effort. A couple of points um, for me. So I do agree. I do agree that you, people should speak out, but um, I think that maybe the reason. No, I think a lot of times the reasons why people don't want to speak out is because you go and speak out now, and then you get blacklisted, or mm. the person you're even reporting to is friends with the with the abuser. So that's one, and then two, I feel like <laughs> I feel like your firm is Ajabota. So mm -hmm. you can afford all these different things. Mm. Some other firms that are just by the wayside, waiting to consign them with um, Mrs. Baloguns, because my company actually interviewed her on a podcast mm. um, about violence in the workplace, that exact topic mm. we're, we're, we're having. So you have all these um, law firms by the wayside. They, they don't have the resources like Olajide Wale has to be doing mental, you know, healthcare and you know, all, these, all the policies that they need to be abiding by. And then three, I don't even know if... I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't want to be because I feel like I. I want to be as objective as possible because be just because you have actually made it clear to me that it's true. I don't want to look at things from a, a one-dimensional perspective, mm. but I feel like a lot of times Nigeria doesn't make it any easy mm. or easier. And then separately from sexual abuse and harassment, why are lawyers who are supposed to be handling cases mm. being made to go and buy bread and beans? Like, mm. how is this connected to them? you know, becoming the people that they want to become as professionals. You're sending them to go and buy a bar and a goosey. So if you, if you, there, I feel like there's so many layers of foolishness happening to, you know, to people in this country, particularly as lawyers and, you know, all the, obviously other professions. Mm. But I know that the stories that people shared, it range from just being dehumanized and then you now add the layer of sexual harassment, verbal abuse, physical abuse. Mm. Shadid, um, there are many things in what you've just asked and what you've just said, and I, I don't know that there's time to drill down into each of them, but I, I will definitely try and deal with some of these things. And the first thing is that if you are in a job that is dehumanizing and demoralizing, if you have the opportunity, you resign immediately if you have the opportunity for some people they don't have that opportunity they don't have that choice because they need the job and there are no other jobs and this is just what they have to do and it is unfortunate it is very sad but if you have the choice if you have the means you leave you leave that's just what you have to do for those who don't have the choice, you have to continue looking for a better job. It may even take you out of the profession, but you have to look for a better job because dehumanizing conduct 
will only have a negative and debilitating um, impact on your mental health. You will lose confidence. You will start to second guess yourself. You may even have a physical reaction where you are shaking, where you need to go to the loo, and so on and so forth. And as I said when we started uh, on this particular line of questioning, it is wrong. Nobody has the right to treat another human being like that. And it is wrong morally, it is wrong in our laws. It's not even being humane. Mm -hmm. But we recognize that you do have some people who um, are just not nice and will, will behave like that. Now, coming to another part of what you said, which is fear of reporting. As I said, um, the, the whole concept of whistleblowing is that you are protected. The whistleblower is protected, right? And you have some firms that have these policies in place. For any firm that doesn't have that kind of policy in place or that kind of measure and protocol to deal with such, you have to look outward. And that's why I said knowledge is power. And I felt it was very important to mention what the Nigerian Bar Association did earlier this year. The, the MBA has, it's nothing new. But what has happened is that the new committees have been announced. And it is incumbent on you as a lawyer to know what those committees are. So you can know where you can go to for help. It's not just the disciplinary committee. There are so many other committees, whether it's on remuneration, whether it's on digitization, you name it, or welfare. You know. So you can go to any of those committees. Um, and this should hopefully address that part of the conversation uh, where you mentioned what happens if the person who, um, is who you should report to happens to be friends with the abuser and what have you. It's not a perfect system. It is not a system, sorry, it's not a problem that is localized to law firms. We've spoken about um, um, Habib Abalugun's um, um, report, which is not encompassing the legal industry. And I'm very sure that you are aware of what is going on in the UK with the rape culture issue, where you have children that are speaking out against what is described as the rape culture. And you have adults that have turned a blind eye. You have boys that um, have perpetrated these heinous acts on their classmates. So it's a global problem. And um, dealing with it is, is not a simple, there's no simple measure. It's a complex, complicated set of measures, but there are some things that just have to happen. And the final point is, all of this is, um, if, you, if you're being abused, right, it is difficult to talk about it. You're humiliated. You are scared, right? And that is why it is incumbent on anybody that is in a position to do something about it, to ring fence, come up with the policies and processes. You mentioned some of uh, the smaller law firms, or um, to use nice. your language, you said <laughs> Ajebota, the non-Ajebota <laughs> law firms. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, and nothing stops anybody in any firm from deciding, I am going to drive this. It may even simply be providing the data. Some employers don't know. Remember that it is not necessarily the boss that is perpetuating the abuse. So just even providing the data 
that this is going on, not necessarily in your own firm, mm -hmm. just providing the data or directing attention to the advocacy that is going on. Because there's a lot of advocacy, a lot of the, uh, the MBA is driving some of the advocacy, a lot of the women's associations um, in the legal profession are also driving the advocacy, bringing attention to it. What does that do? One of the things it does is that it helps everybody understand what abuse and harassment is. And that's how somebody can realize that, oh my goodness, this joke that I have been cracking, maybe I should stop cracking this joke. My colleague who is a bit quiet, maybe the environment is not conducive and I can help her by talking to other colleagues to not do this and not do that. And it comes back to what we discussed earlier, which is wherever we can help, we should help. And as lawyers, we are forever learners. So it's not just the law yeah. that you're reading about. It's yeah. how to manage situations. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you for that um, encouraging, <laughs> encouraging perspective. Mm. Um, kind of go back a little bit to just lawyers and their experiences. Mm. From, what we just explored, from what we just discussed, lawyers being abused, do you think that a lot of young lawyers who are now coming out of law school and mm. saying that they want to go and partner with their colleagues to start their own firms because they don't want to go to any other firm and go and be abused. That's the right trend. Or you would advise that maybe it's better for you to go to a firm, gain some experience before going to set yours up. Mm. Um, if you go back to one of your earlier questions about um, my own journey, I said hard work, listening to wise counsel. I also mentioned a bit of luck and um, also spoke about passion, right? And everybody has their own path. Everybody has their own journey to take. And when you qualify as a lawyer or any type of professional, most parents are going to tell you, you need to get out into the workforce and start um, making your own money, earning your own money. And we have to realize that when you are at the bottom, bottom of the rung, your earnings can't compare to somebody who's higher up or usually don't compare to somebody who's higher up on the ladder because you've just left school. And your own negotiating power where salaries are concerned, is, it's typically imbalanced in that um, <laughs> you can't command the kind of salaries that you could probably command if you've got two, three years under your belt. And this is where the counsel comes in. Who are you listening to and what exactly are they saying? Why would you pay X for a particular lawyer? It's usually because of the experience. It's usually because of the reputation. You will certainly pay more for that lawyer than you would for a lawyer that doesn't necessarily have that reputation or experience. So coming to the question as to whether you should go it on your own or um, go into an office and get experience, there are many cases where young lawyers have gone it on their own and they've done well, they're successful. There are also many cases where young lawyers have gone into paid employment and they have also done well. So each of us has to follow our own path. You need to listen to counsel, you need to seek counsel, um, and you need to make up your own mind. I followed um, the path of getting the experience, 
and it has served me very well. But can I just say, and I know that it's a different country. Mm. My classmates, my colleagues coming out of um, coming out of law school, which is what breaks my heart when mm. I think of like the 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 evaluation of Naira and mm. just how people are just poorly paid in this country. It's like my classmates coming out of law school, some of them are going to firms and earning one eighty thousand, and those these are just coming out of law school, you know. Mm. And then the average Nigerian um, graduate who's coming out of law school and is going to practice. Some people are earning like 50k, 30k. For some people, that's what they are using to buy lunch. So how is that, how is that lo- young lawyer going to, to survive? And where are you coming from? How are you going to pay your house rent on 20k, 30k, 50k? Mm. So I do agree with you that the experience you have coming out of law school is definitely, you can't compare that to someone like you. But people should still be paid appropriately. Mm. It shouldn't be that you're just... Um, being paid trash money and you can't even survive. Um, when you say people like me, can you <laughs> clarify? <laughs> no, I just mean like, lo- <laughs> does that sound bad? No, I just mean lawyers like yourself who have more experience mm. and have accomplished a lot. Mm. It's, it makes sense for you because you know what you're bringing to the table. Mm. But someone who's young, maybe you're second guessing yourself and you're, um, still charging something that's reasonable people still beat you down mm. you know so th- that, that, that I, I hope that was clear like yeah yeah and that's why i asked for the clarification yeah and it takes me back to um the fact that you have to look at the whole context the question is what should a young lawyer do yes you have some employers that are bad but a lot more are good there are lawyers that are running some incredible NGOs that are making a difference. Mm-hmm. They are using their legal background to support the underprivileged. They are using their legal back- background to redress the inequalities and injustices. Um, an office like this, we use our legal background to help redress the imbalance where you have your recording contracts and your publishing contracts, and I'm talking of in the music business. Mm -hmm. We help to counterbalance the imbalance that you can get because the negotiating power is what it is. When I started out, the law firm that I chose to work in and that accepted my application, because they need to accept your application, um, I was told by a number of people, they pay badly, don't go there. And this is where counsel comes in, wise counsel, right? I had wise counsel from my parents, and I listened to them. You're young, you're inexperienced. The salary may not be what you think it should be, but what are you going to get in exchange? You're going to get a massive learning opportunity. You're going to work with many good to great lawyers, not necessarily the late Chief Williams himself, but the people who work with him. I remember uh, my classmates, there are two classmates whose um, career trajectory, we've all been pretty much on the same trajectory um, throughout our years. And um, the, the salary wasn't the highest it could be, but then we went into the law firm industry, so to speak, And law firm salaries cannot compare to the banking sector or the oil and gas sector, which was what a lot of our colleagues wanted. But the three of us elected to go into the law firm sector. And the salary was um, much lower than our other colleagues. Mm -hmm. 
but we stuck it out. We gained knowledge, we gained experience, we made some incredible friends and have some incredible friendships that last, are lasting till today. And after a period of time, some of us moved on, some of us stayed and ended up being made partner. And the point I'm trying to make is that when you're at the bottom of the rung, typically your, your salary in, in Nigeria is, is not necessarily anything to write home about. Um, comparing economies, I think, is a bit unfair because the, the size of the economy is very different. The advancement of the economies are very different. The, what employers have to deal with. At Rotemi Williams, my office was right next to the generator. And the generator needed to run. And Chief Williams lived on the premises. So in the end, he had to buy two generators. At a point in time, the generators were rationed because of the expenses. So in addition to paying salaries, you're paying for power, you're paying for stationery, and a whole host of other things. So it's, it's not easy to run a law firm, and there are many, many expenses. And law firms typically should, can only pay what they can afford. Now, should anybody be paid the kind of salaries that you've mentioned? No. No. What are the options? Must you take that job? Maybe, maybe not. If you have to take that job, then it goes back to some of the things that we've spoken about here, which is that you should begin to look for alternative employment, if it's possible. Whatever it is you can do, you need to do that. And it's easier said than done, but you just have to do that. Yes, no, it, it, it is. And, and, and I do know that it is unfair to compare countries, but I was just giving an example, unfair example. Maybe, maybe perhaps I said Ghana, <laughs> but I don't know what's happening in Ghana. Um, and it's, that is a valid point, that whether you're a firm, whether you're a business in Nigeria, you are literally running your entire operation yourself. Mm. No lights, bad road, all these different things you're having to deal with. Mm. But on top 20K, I'm not having to go and buy Eba and stew. Like, you know, you can trying to say, man, like, is, mm. it, I can even say, okay, fine, I understand that. But can I still be treated like a decent human being? But, you know, I don't, I don't want to. You said, before you're a lawyer, you're a human being. And if you have narcissistic tendencies, if you are crossing the lines where you shouldn't, all of that is not because you're a lawyer, it's just because of the kind of human being that you are. And it just goes back to, if you have a choice, you leave that place, if you have a choice. If you don't have a choice, then you have to look at what are the ways that you can mitigate this? How can you deal with this? Whether it's putting your application in um, to any other job, whether it is um, signing up to a recruitment agency, whether it's speaking to your friends uh, that look on the lookout for a job, whether it's also knuckling down, just doing everything that you need to do um, till you can get out of that situation. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wish, I, seriously, man, I wish, you know, I think I should just probably just move into your office or your house or just talk for a while because I just have a lot of questions and just, you know, come back. You're more than welcome. <laughs> You're more than welcome. You know, because just a, a couple of more things before, mm. before I move on from this topic is that mm. one is that there's some people that they're earning a lot of money and mm. they're paying their, their staff trash. So that, 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 that's one thing we should also consider. Absolutely. They feel that they can afford to pay, but they just are not paying. Mm. And then two, 
my thing is that I feel like Nigeria does this thing whereby it forces you to always step away from what you really want to do. Mm. Whereby you have lawyers, they really want to be lawyers, mm. but they are being forced to go and um, do um, car drive, um, be a driver, which is not a bad thing. Mm. But the fact that you have a country that is forcing you to step out of what you already had planned for yourself, is such a problem for me. You see, we, we need to be careful when we say the lawyers can, the, the employer can afford it. Um, because from the employee perspective, what you see is that you've billed X and why can't your salary um, match or be reflected in what is being billed? But there are multiple expenses that the employer has. Um, is, it, is it rent that has to be paid? Is it the furnishing? And when you buy the furniture, remember that it breaks. Mm -hmm. So you have to replace it. Then you have your work tools, like your computers and your stationery, you name it. If you have all those modcoms, you have to acquire them, you have to maintain them, and replace them when they need to be replaced. Then you have all the staff. There may be some practice areas that are not necessarily doing as well as others. Just because they're not bringing in the kind of money that they need to bring in doesn't mean you should not pay them. You have your business development activities which require you to spend money. And I'm now speaking from the perspective of a larger law oh, firm, exactly. right? Um, where if you're going for conferences, that has to be paid for. If you are doing any event, you also have to pay for that mm -hmm. to happen. So there, there, there are many, uh, sorry, there are many pressures on the monies that are being earned. There, mm -hmm. there are many demands on the monies that are being earned. It's not just the salary. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I also don't want to generalize uh, because what's happening in one office is not necessarily what's ha happening in another office. So each individual, each lawyer has to look at their own situation and try and understand it as well as possible. And if really they think they should be better paid, um, you, then you have to make up your mind as to what you're going to do. Do you write it out or not? You know, if I go back to my salary at Rotimi Williams, um, it wasn't very much, but I, I made do with it. I still lived at home with my parents, so that definitely helped me, right? But guess what? As time went by, one year, two years, our own employers at Rotimi Williams made concerted efforts to increase the salaries wherever they could. There were bonus systems that um, eventually began to be paid. I say eventually because at a point in time it was a problem. From the employer's perspective, it was a problem because of liquidity. Mm -hmm. From the employee's perspective, why aren't I getting a bonus? Exactly. You know? So there are those tensions. The important thing is that you as a lawyer, try and, um, you as the employee, try and understand what's going on and then make an informed decision. But I think it doesn't also, it, uh, maybe it also doesn't help when you have your, your bosses moving to Banana Island, but you cannot. You <laughs> <laughs> I, I want us to avoid being um, no, I very know. generalistic. No, I know, man, no, I know. I'm just, that's just me being horrible. <laughs> um, now, moving on to an important part of, the, part of the conversation, not that we haven't been having an important conversation. Can you talk about why intellectual property is important and why people need to take trademarks seriously. So IP and trademark. I had a situation earlier in the year with um, my podcast whereby someone was infringing on my trademark and 
I didn't know because I was mm. busy, you mm. know, and I wasn't monitoring um, the activity around um, my trademark. So mm. can you please speak uh, briefly about why IP is important and why trademarks are important? Before I answer that question, Shadi, mm -hmm. can you tell us, or at least me, yeah. how you resolve the problem of the infringement? <laughs> I'm turning the tables on yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how did I resolve it? So... <sighs> It was a long story. I reached out to a couple of my lawyer friends to see if they could help me with the case pro bono. Mm. Um, I, they, then they contacted the infringers. It mm. took them a while to respond, and then eventually they agreed to stop infringing on my trademark. Mm. Um, but it was a long process because the people were actually aware of what they were doing. Um, but eventually they responded and said that, okay, they would stop infringing on the trademarks. And the ones that didn't respond, they just outrightly stopped infringing on the trademark. So it was a, it was a long process, but I had to use lawyers <laughs> to do it. Get a lawyer is the answer and monitor, you know, your trademark. It is so important. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for sharing that with us. And I asked because I wanted to make a point, which is copying is one of the highest forms of flattery. And by the time you have uh, somebody infringing on your product or your service, as it were, um, what it means is that you've achieved a modicum of success. So congratulations <laughs> on that. And also congratulations on getting the infringement issue sorted out because it's, it's a very important point to be made, which is that infringement can be resolved without going to court and sometimes it's resolved by going to court, but it can definitely be tackled. You're not always successful, but the point is that you have to make the effort. Okay. So intellectual property, uh, one of the most vibrant areas of law. Intellectual property um, are the laws that govern the media, sports, entertainment, and technology sectors. Um, it also spills into the health sector and so many others. So whether it's radios to telephones, umbrellas to satellites, cameras to drones, from vinyl to streaming, intellectual property is everywhere you go. And its value across board runs into trillions of dollars globally. Um, I want to take us to a particular um, revenue generator in the music industry, Kola Ringback Tunes. <laughs> At its height, yeah. it was earning a lot of money for songs that were no longer popular. But the owners of the copyright in those songs were receiving steadily every quarter a healthy chunk of money. Not from performances, not from streaming, not from um, synchronization, just caller ring back tunes, showing the value at any point in time. Intellectual property can be protected, it can be monetized, it can be used for collateral, and it is also an asset that you can leave to your children. You must recognize that it is a property. In terms of protection, it comes back to what we've discussed here, get a lawyer. It is a lawyer who understands intellectual property. It is a lawyer who's experienced. It's a lawyer who understands the ecosystem. It's a lawyer who has goodwill and relationships. It's a lawyer who has a team. 
because IP is broad. I've mentioned the three main arms of intellectual property. I've mentioned some of the core sectors in which um, intellectual property governs or underpins. They're broad, they're huge. Entertainment alone, is it film and TV? Is it music? Is it animation? So you need a lawyer or a law firm that understands all of this and has the capacity to deal with it. Now, what about in situations, because for example, for me, um, it took me a while before I said, not, not, not like it took me a while. I definitely knew that I wanted, I wanted to trademark the name of the podcast, mm. but some people can't afford that. Mm. And when you're just starting out, you look at the amount of money you have to pay, whether that's, you know, to go and, um, what's it called, copyright your song mm. or, you know, protect your book, whatever it is, even just lawyers, legal services. Mm. For people that are just starting out, what advice would you give to them? Maybe they feel like what they are engaging in creatively or professionally may not achieve skill. So why invest this amount or these amounts of resources into things that they're not so sure is going to pan out successfully? Mm. Shadi, um, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And we all know that, or most of us know that, if you feel sick, it's not your tailor or your mechanic that you call. It's a doctor. Mm -hmm. You go to the hospital to be treated. The term intellectual property includes the word property. How do you deal with that property? It boils back down to getting a lawyer. Affordability is a big issue. If you have a budget, you need to factor in the cost of protecting that intellectual property. There's a story of um, the three pigs who one built his house on sand, another built his ha house on um, soil, and the last one built his house on a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. And we all know what happened to the first two pigs. Yeah. You have to start as you mean to go. And if there's, I've been in intellectual property now for going on 20 years. My, the first eight years of my career was not in intellectual property, but subsequently coming to Olajide Wolianku, as it then was, um, I began to build up the IP practice. And what I found, there, there weren't a lot of law firms that were practicing proper intellectual property um, law. What I found was that for those of us that did, we understood that many of the practitioners, many of the stakeholders, the creatives, the innovatives, um, just didn't have that money. So we all had fairly big pro bono practices. And for you to have a pro bono practice, that means that you have other streams of income that are helping to support um, that aspect of your work that is not generating income because we are a business. We are in this to make money. My uh, team are not working for me pro bono. I have to pay them. They have families. They have responsibilities, mm -hmm. right? So you also have to balance it out. But where I was going was that a, there's a compassion in a lot of the law firms. It is not just Olajide Wale LLP. There are other law firms in the space and I know a lot of the partners. There is that compassion to provide, up to a certain extent, what you can at no cost. And even if fees are going to be charged, there's, uh, maybe you need five things, and we'll give you two things for free, 
and, and so on and so forth. In other instances, we can support you for free for two, three years. By that time, it's expected that um, you'd have started generating revenue where you can start to pay. Coming back to part of the question, which is, you're not sure if your idea is going to achieve scale. That's the risk, right? And you still get a lawyer. That lawyer may give you the bad news that there is nothing to actually protect here because that has happened um, a few months ago. A fairly established organization came to us because it felt that its um, IP was being infringed. And they came to us because they wanted correct advice. They didn't want a situation where they were being led down the garden path. And we analyzed it and had to tell them, you actually don't have anything to protect here. There's nothing to protect. And they went away grateful for the advice. It wasn't what they necessarily wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. But as I said, they didn't want a situation where, okay, we're now firing letters off to wherever we need to fire letters off. We're threatening litigation. Then we go to litigation. They are hemorrhaging cash because they're paying legal fees. And ultimately, the case is not going to go anywhere. As a businessman, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, there are always risks. Any founder will tell you that. The majority of ideas, the majority of um, business ventures are not going to scale. So you have to weigh up your risks. Yeah, and then you, you, and then you make the, take, the, take the decision, right? Mm. Yeah. And there, there are different ways to protect your intellectual property. So again, speaking to an experienced lawyer can give you the ideas on, or the advice on how to protect. Not all intellectual property is necessarily going to be registered. Um, not all intellectual property, um, maybe you shouldn't even talk about it until you're ready to begin to license or contract on it. So it, it all just depends. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for that. I just, I think when, I, when, when the situation happened with myself, I was like, wow. <laughs> the well, chicken um, has come home to roost. Um, we've had scenarios where very famous names have had to deal with the recovery of their names. Right, because you're not necessarily, you, to have the wherewithal to monitor infringement, you have to have the resources. Uh, if you look at what uh, manufacturing companies in the fast-moving consumer goods uh, sector do, they have huge departments that are engaged in monitoring. So if, say for instance, um, let's use a, an international brand, uh, Puma, and you have uh, someone manufacturing Puma, using the same animal logo, and it's just a play on the U and the O, mm -hmm. you know. And because they have that monitoring system in place, they can make up their minds as to whether to address that particular infringement or not, because sometimes it's really, really small. Mm -hmm. So it comes back down to, as you grow, you're better able to deal with such things, you know. Now let's talk a bit about the Central Bank of Nigeria's Creative Industry Financing Initiative. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't know what that is, it's um, popularly known as CIFI. Mm -hmm. Is it sci-fi? Is that, is that? <laughs> 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 or CP? <laughs> but it's popularly known as um, CIFI, and it aims to provide Nigerian creative entrepreneurs and investors with easier access to finance. Mm. Um, but the initiative hasn't been without criticism. Mm. Um, I was reading a, a piece last year called Financing the Creative Industry in Nigeria, Matters Arising. And the article, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought 
did a great job of talking about the challenges as well as providing possible solutions. Mm. And some of the challenges with the um, CF CIFI initiative is lack of uniformity on the documents required by banks. We have some banks being unfair, which is subjective. The length of time it takes to eventually access the loans, mm. the types of collateral required, youth unemployment in, is still so high, and so on. So can you speak about the the efforts of the CBN to provide financing to Nigerian creatives and entrepreneurs and investors, and what's, what can they improve on? Money, financing, um, it's a universal problem. Mark Burnett is one of the fathers of TV. Um, you will see his name on a number of popular TV and reality shows. And you would imagine that because he has been responsible for so many popular shows, he shouldn't have any problems raising funding for any project that he wants to get involved in. But there's a particular project of his that took either seven or 12 years to raise funds for. And it was, again, because he wanted to use other people's money. And I believe in that instance, he and his wife ended up self-financing. Anytime you want to use other people's money, which is what taking a loan from the bank entails, you will have to do it on their own terms. The interest they want to charge, the obligations, the tenure, and what have you, it's their own terms. And it's your choice to take it or to try and change what it is that you can change. If you are a young, upcoming entrepreneur or filmmaker, your chances of being able to change any terms are highly unlikely. If you are a coveted film producer, and we have some of them in this country, you're like the beautiful bride, they will give that loan to you, largely on the terms that you want. And I'm saying this based on the experience, experience that we have had. Now, to come to your question, one of the many books on raising money and product for productions in the film sector, they list your sources of funding from self-financing to family and friends to investors. One of the things they push against is loans from the bank. And it is because of the interest rate. It's because of the other onerous terms. So using money from the bank to finance your production or whatever it is you want it for is kind of like one of the last things you should ever consider, if you should ever consider it. But what our central bank has done, what our bank of industry has done, is created a situation where bank loans are actually more attractive in Nigeria, at least, than in some other clients. And I say this with every sense of responsibility based on the terms and conditions that I have seen and based on how many projects have actually come out of these loans. So you have the finished project like albums and films. Let's look at the advocacy and training. These loans have been responsible for training crew, lighting, sound, furniture making, script writing, you name it. There's a whole body. This is the ecosystem of the entertainment industry that I'm talking about. There's a whole body in there that have benefited from these loans. With that training, you can now get a job. With that training, you can now earn money. 
it's a mixed bag in terms of how successful it has been, but um, from where I sit, it's been very necessary. We don't have the studios, we don't have the um, distribution companies that are going to invest, um, businessmen investing. It does happen in this country, but not in the way, um, not into the volumes that would help, right? So I would say it's a viable um, um, measure. It's a viable way to get money. Um, get a lawyer who can sit down with you and take you through it and um, come up with terms that help and just recognize the reality of the situation. It's other people's money. You will not give your money um, um, without certain terms and conditions being attached to it. Nobody does that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it comes with its own moratoriums, it yeah. comes with its own low income, sorry, low interest rates, you know, so there, there are pros to it. Many people will, will not necessarily, necessarily agree, but if you drill down, if you get to the granular of it all, some of what I've said is actually what is happening. A lot of people have benefited from it. And you talked about the fact that, you know, in terms of investment, you know, we may not have, whether it's billionaires or millionaires on the continent or in Nigeria, investing in the creative industry like mm. we would like them to. Because, for example, we look at the situation with the Lagos State Government and um, the Ebony Life Creative Academy, which is actually a very great initiative. So mm. can you speak about that, please? Yeah. Um, Many things to, to touch on there. Um, with regards to investment in the entertainment industry, it can be businessmen that are interested in the industry. It could be venture capitalists. It could be private equity. It could be funds set up specially to invest in the entertainment industry. And each of these um, categories is a business designed to put money in, see where the investment is going, and ultimately recoup many times over what has been put in. They are well aware of the risks and many of the investments actually are not successful. For me to invest in your business, I must see the numbers. I must see the plan to scale. I must see where your market or network is. I must assess a number of factors before I invest. And if that business Say, for instance, it is an intellectual property-based business. If the founder cannot show that he or she owns the intellectual property, I'm going to wonder as an investor, okay, so what exactly is it that I'm investing in? If you don't own it, is it third parties? And if it is third parties, what that means is that I put my money in a risky business. It's already risky. All right. So it ties back to the importance of IP, the question on the importance of intellectual property. So it's incumbent on founders to understand that importance or seek advice with regards to that importance. Um, kudos to Ebony Life Creative Academy. Well done to Lagos State. Um, these uh, public-private sector partnerships are not new. They are very, very necessary. Um, and what they do is help to raise the game in terms of training and ultimately employment and ultimately that great entertainment, whether it's the music we're listening to or the film and TV content that we're watching. So we definitely need as much of it as possible. Um, seeing the successes is also important. So there needs to be a lot of media on the success stories. Yeah. Um, if that gets out there, then yeah. people can see that it's actually working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Now let's go on to the legal and business advisory services. So mm. you work with a lot of A-list creatives and artists in the Nigerian entertainment industry. How does it make you feel to see the growth within the industry? I, I actually want to just add a bit of context to something you said, that we represent a lot of the A-list um, practitioners. I want to point out that some of these A-list practitioners, when we started representing them many years ago, were unknown, they were individuals with no track record, no experience, nothing. But we started with them and they have continued and thankfully some of them are what you would describe as A-list. So on our books, our clients are from the young, unknown artist or filmmaker all the way up to the more better known filmmaker or artists. We can only work for people who want a lawyer or recognize the importance of having lawyers. And you are a hundred percent right when you say that. Lawyers did not feature very much many years ago. But fast forward to where we are today, many more law firms are in there, um, some known, some not known. Uh, there's also the fact that Nigeria um, is very attractive to the foreign companies in the creative and innovative space. So whether it's PE or VCs looking to invest, whether it is ongoing businesses looking to set up in Nigeria, right? Um, and you do need lawyers who understand the finance world. You need lawyers who understand the corporate um, world, as it were, as well as the IP. So what we provide is is a multitude of services. It's a business, so you need your corporate commercial in place. Uh, there's a lot of money involved, so you need your financing in place. There's the intellectual property art, a part of it, so you need your contract, you need your law laws um, on um, IP and contracts in place, and so on and so forth. And when you have a dispute, you need the litigators. So it's a full service that um, we provide, and you take what you need from it. So it's a welcome development. Um, but I, I stress, you can only work for people that Wanted. want the service. Yeah. You also have a long working relationship with the Kuti family and the Fela Kuti estate, and you worked on various projects yes. with them. My first question about the Kuti, I mean, Fela Kuti's estate and the Kuti family is, can you please First, explain what estate planning is. You had, you had actually alluded to that in the beginning of the conversation that we mm. had. So can you speak about um, estate planning? Because it seems like they seem to have, have it right. So um, estate planning is, in this office, you have no less than four partners that are involved in estate planning because of how vast and complex it actually is. And um, it's been a privilege for the firm to provide the services to the administrators of the estate of Fela Nicola Pukuti. And when we first started providing those services, it was actually in regard to an infringement, dispute resolution. Mm. Um, and the case went to court, mm. and uh, my dispute resolution partner then got the judgment that was needed. And from there, the rest of the services began to grow and expand. And it's all tied to what constitutes the asset of the estate. So the estate is with reference to the assets. Is it landed property? 
Is it money in the bank? Is it personal property? Is it intellectual property, right? And in your lifetime, you need to think about how you want that property to be distributed in the event of your passing. And there are many different things that can be done. There are many different ways of addressing that distribution. It's important to address that distribution in your lifetime to avoid rancor and dispute after you are gone. Some of the things that you can do include actually, sorry, the most obvious thing is to draft a will, the most obvious thing. And um, the will must adhere to whatever uh, laws are applicable when it comes to drafting a will so that it is valid. And if it is contested, it can be upheld. The other things that you can do include actually dispersing some of your property or all of your property in your lifetime. Other things include setting up of trusts. Other things include moving the assets into a holding company. There are a whole range of things, but it just depends on what those assets actually are, what you want to do, and um, what is the best structure for it. And that's why I said we have no less than four partners that work on estate planning in the office. Now, for an estate like Fella, it's been, it's been a privilege, but it's also been really, really exciting because we have watched that asset as a result of technology, the convergence of technology. Technology has played a big role mm -hmm. in the entertainment space from time immemorial. You yeah. know? And with um, the fourth industrial revolution, um, with the right partners, um, Fela's legacy has only continued to grow. So that's why I say it's been exciting. And people who didn't know Fela in his lifetime or were children in his lifetime, as a result of um, many different things that have gone on, from using his music in commercials to using his music in film and TV content um, to using it in video games uh, to re-releases to covers and samples, um, whether it's by Nigerian artists or non-Nigerian artists. Um, it's just about that exploitation that is fantastic. So it, it, it just continues to be relevant. So for us, it's been a privilege. Um, it's also been an incredible learning experience um, across board. And um, it's advisable for anybody with assets in the creative and, inter um, sorry, creative and innovative sectors to pay attention to what is to happen to those assets. It's like if you have a portfolio of houses, you have your title documents for your intellectual property, which is what is the asset in the entertainment sector or the creative and innovative sectors. What are the title documents and what are you doing with them? What are your thoughts on him not making the Hall of Fame? Um, I think we, we need to understand who we're talking about here. We're talking about the creator of a genre of music. Afrobeat. We're talking about a Nigerian, we're talking about a black man, we are talking about somebody who released countless albums in his lifetime and the number of songs is just over 200 songs. We're talking about somebody who's been gone over 20 years and we're talking about one of the first, if not the first African to be nominated, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. 
Do they have Afrobeat artists in the Hall of Fame? The answer is no. I believe the majority of artists in there are rock, right? What did this nomination do? And I'll quote what Femi Kuti said. Femi said it. He said, a lot of people who had not heard of Fela got to hear of his legacy and his music. On that note, I would say that Fela is a winner. When you look at the number of votes over that voting period, on that note, he is a winner. One of the uh, inductees is Tina Turner. Many people were surprised that Tina wasn't already in the Hall of Fame. It's disappointing, all right? But I see wins here for the reasons that I've already given. Fela is in our Hall of Fame, in our minds, in our hearts. And um, um, when you look at all the things that I've just mentioned, um, it's disappointing, but it was good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I feel the same way as well. Yeah. And let me even add, add one more thing. I mean, the, the Hall of Fame system is what it is. And maybe because there's a lot of outrage. And is it a system that needs to be changed? Is it a system that needs to be looked at? We may find that that's actually what will ultimately happen, right? Because you wonder why the fan vote only counts for one vote and there are secret ballots here and there. But it's, it's the system. Now, just to quickly go back to the point about estate planning, you know, in Nigeria, we have this culture of, I don't want to die. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to blow, I want to lao lao, you know, I want to jaye. So a lot of us are not thinking about death. We think that we're going to live long, mm. knock on wood, I will live long, till long. and you as well, man. Amen, amen. <laughs> you know, but the reality is that life happens. So in your experience, is there a particular point in an artist's career that they need to start thinking about estate planning? Is it one song in? Is it one hit in? Is it five hits in? Is it five years in? Mm. Um, a few years ago, sorry, not a few years ago, just over a decade ago, this firm lost a partner um, in that he died. And when looking at, when trying to make sense of it all, when being part of his wife's, when watching his wife having to deal with what she had to deal with, I decided I was going to put together a book on women who had lost their husbands and um, how they coped and how they dealt with it. And I worked with some friends of mine. We all brought different skills to the table and I coordinated the project. And we came up with a book called Through the Fire. And Through the Fire involves a legal section that deals with the A to Z of what to think about legally when somebody, when your partner, husband or wife passes away. We have stories from 30 women. We have input from the psychological side of it. We have a chapter that deals with the financials. We also have a chapter that deals with the loss from the perspective of the family whose son or brother died and what they did. And it's a tool, it's a guide for anyone alive to understand how to manage this situation. 
and the overriding thing that came from men who read it was, I'm going to put my house in order because I don't want my wife, should I pass away, to have to deal with some of these things. It is taboo to talk about death. We don't want to talk about it. But the reality is that death is the only sure thing. And whether you're a man or a woman, you need to put your affairs in order to minimize and mitigate the already fraught with emotions situation that you're going to have to deal with. For artists, you're young. If you're starting out in your teens, why would you be thinking about that? That is the reality. I would love to be able to say you start thinking about it immediately, but I mean, I have children. They're, they're in that, they're never going to think about such, yeah. right? But the reality is that as you get older, you need to think about estate planning. What is going to happen? We have um, artists on our roster who, they have their wills. And every so often, the wills are uh, updated or revised to take into consideration growth in assets, to take into consideration more children, to take into consideration change in direction, you know. So it's something that has to be um, thought about, ideally as soon as possible, but it's unrealistic to expect a, a teenager or <laughs> somebody in their 20s um, to think about it. But it all comes from advocacy and talking about it, and um, eventually they should put that into consideration. So let's talk a bit about, because we're getting close to the end of the interview. Okay. Um, final major question is about IP rights harmonization in Africa. So going back a bit to our previous discussion on the growth of the entertainment industry, mm. obviously you talked about the fact that you know lawyers are now more prominent in deals, in situations that involves mm. creativity and innovation. Mm. But I feel like the challenges cannot be ignored. Mm. And we had even mentioned the fact with the CBN-CIFI initiative. Mm. But one of the challenges is the issue with the weak protection of IP rights in mm. Nigeria and Africa at large. Mm. And you see that um, displayed when you go to a bank to get a loan mm. and you say, oh, here are the rights to my movie or something, and the bank is looking at you like, what do you mean about that? Mm. So can you speak about why IP rights harmonization is important mm. from the perspective of after, when you think about after negotiations as well, how that is going to benefit the creatives, innovators, and entrepreneurs? For starters, some intellectual property is being accepted by financial institutions as collateral. Um, and I'm talking about in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in much more um, developed climates where the value and the monetization of intellectual property is very clearly um, laid out and understood, it's a matter of routine for it to be collateralized. And it's an evolving situation, you know. The banks or the financial institutions need to understand um, the value of it. Sometimes there's even no value, so why should they accept it as collateral? Now let's go to the continent of Africa. You're talking of how many countries? 54 countries. Um, from the what I know, every single country um, has its own intellectual property laws. 
whether it's trademarks, copyrights, and um, patents. We all have those laws in place. How many practitioners, by practitioners I mean the creators of intellectual property or the owners of intellectual property know about those laws in each country? You have to know about these laws to take the benefit of those laws. In my office or our library, we have the intellectual property laws report from the 1900s to about 1997, 2000, the year 2000. How many reported cases are there spanning those decades. It's less than 5,000. What that means is that less than 5,000 cases have been filed in all that time where intellectual property is concerned. And by the way, that number that I'm talking about, some of the cases reported are the same cases from the Federal High Court to the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court. Where am I going with all of this? Each country needs to um, have a strong intellectual property regime. And by strong intellectual property regime, that starts with the legislation that you have in place, as well as the advocacy and sensitization of the nationals about that legislation. If we're talking about AFTA, that's an incredible agreement. You know how difficult it is to get two parties to agree to an agreement, how much more all the countries on the continent. Then some countries have national laws that require that before any international convention, agreement, you name it, uh, can be deemed to be law, we also have to pass that into law. With the world becoming a global village, with the fourth industrial revolution and the digitization scaling at a rapid pace, with data becoming more and more important. It's the most valuable asset in the world today. There is definitely need for harmonization, but it is not overnight. There are many conversations. There are many meetings. There are many, docu many documents flying back and forth. So it's, it's something that, I mean, if, if you look at what has happened with Brexit, right, um, there are benefits to a harmonization, and then there's the downside. So um, that's what I would say in response to this. No, yeah, that's a very, no, that, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry if the question was not even very clear um, in the phrasing, because particularly when you, when you also look at the, the continent with the youth, a lot of them are unemployed, yes. and a lot of youth are going into cre the creative industries. Mm. So the earlier we're able to address this issue in strengthening the intellectual property rights, I feel like it would help in the advancement of the continent. Mm. You know, in one of your earlier questions, I said that intellectual property is everywhere you mm -hmm. go. I, have, I, I will always advocate for one, intellectual property to be taught in schools from nursery all the way up to the higher institutions so that you understand that this is somebody's creation, you understand what the rights are, you understand what you shouldn't do and what you can do. And I say this having been a practitioner in intellectual property for nearly 20 years. It's also imperative that if you have outdated archaic laws and unfortunately our own um, intellectual property laws were passed decades ago. Yeah. They provide the basic principles but they need to be updated particularly because a lot of the work that I do is in copyright. We were part of the Nigerian Copyright Commission's project to update the Copyright Act 
and it's as an executive bill, unfortunately, that hasn't um, um, gotten to the point where it can be promulgated into law. We have another bill right now that has just gone through the first reading and it's all hands on deck to ensure that that bill is passed into law sooner rather than later, such that we have a law that provides um, better penalties for infringement that also captures digitization. So um, it, it's, it's a multi-pronged effort. Hopefully the politicians actually, the people in power actually listen and um, the efforts behind it actually achieve. Um, Which is why you will use whatever platform you have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, one, we have um, a market report coming out in a matter of weeks and we have some of the regulators in the intellectual property space talking about a national IP policy. And it's quite insightful when you hear directly from the regulator what a national IP policy is and what it would look like and the efforts involved in making that happen. And what is absolutely clear is that change takes time and it requires the efforts of many people and we plug into it and do what it is that we can. Now, we have come to the fun random questions portion of the interview. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my first question is, a few months ago, Femi and Made Kuti released a joint album called Legacy Plus. What is your favorite song of the album? Um, Shadi, this is a very unfair question. <laughs> very unfair. Um, you can pick. You can pick one of so that so, so that so that you know you don't enter wahala. You can pick one from each person. <laughs> well, I'll start with. Let's look at Madi. Um, yes, he's Femi's son, but I think he's a courageous young man, in that he opted to release his first album with yes his father, but a six-time Grammy nominee. That is an act of courage. He's very talented, played all the instruments on the album. And um, I think if I'm to pick a favorite song from his collection, it would probably be the first single, Free Your Mind. Now for Femi, I watched uh, the video for the song as we struggle every day. Shadi, at the start of this podcast, we talked a little bit about the struggles because that's essentially what um, is happening in Nigeria, whether it's security, whether it's job, whether it is um, light, water. And Femi, following in his father's footsteps, um, is, has used his music to talk about the social issues. In that video, you see the struggles of Nigerians, not just in the southwest or the east, but up north as well. So it's talking to us, it's very apt. And this is a man who next year is going to be 60. And he's talking about what is going on in the country today. So you have that, it resonates. Then the beat and the lyrics and the harmonization, that is also, I, 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 that it's really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, that's my favorite song yeah. on the album. And I actually think it is one of Femi's best pieces of work. That's good. No, that 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 is a very um that's a very good song. Second <laughs> question is name two books that you have heard so much about but are yet to read. Hmm. Okay. Um. You know, when I was younger, 
and I used to read these interviews. Um, I don't think we had podcasts when I was much younger. It was you'd read it in Woman's Own or Cosmopolitan or what have you, and uh, the person being interviewed would usually say, "I'm reading four books at the same time." How is that possible? But I uh, guess what I I actually understand how. I'm yet to get there, but. <laughs> I'll come and learn from you, Ma. <laughs> you don't even need to learn. You will get to that point, you know. So to answer your question as to which two books am I looking forward to reading, um, one is Male Perspective on the Value of Women in the Workplace by Susan Kukwola. Okay. And the second one is edited by Professor Bolanle Awe, and it's titled Nigerian Women in Historical Perspective. Can I just say that I love that both books are by Nigerians? Because a lot of times, the people that, you know, people give like foreign books, you know, like it's a foreign author and it's, you know, so that's awesome. I will check those out. Thank I you. I will recommend two other books, okay. which I have actually read, mm -hmm. and they are by foreign authors and they're tied to things that are very close to me. And one of them is called Truth Teller by an award-winning journalist. Um, called Stephen Davis, and he, he, the blurb is that the war against truth is winning. Misinformation, mm. fake news, mm. which has been a problem for decades. It didn't start now, but obviously with the scale of communication, the speed um, of communication, it's grown exponentially and it, it is extremely dangerous. Um, the second book that I would recommend is um, The Moment of Lift, by Melinda Gates and I recommend this book because what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been able to do is to reach areas globally um, where there are real social issues whether it's health or education, um, death um, during childbirth, um, polio and so on and so forth and she uses, Melinda Gates uses this book to share the experiences and the successes. And you're hearing it in the words of the women that she's talking to. So whether it's Rwanda or somewhere in India, you know, it's, it's that broad and vast. And it's telling very, very important stories. Thank you for those recommendations, and that's really great. You're welcome. Hopefully, the um, the divorce doesn't stop the great work that you know they're doing. So I feel the same. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. Then third question: What practice area of law do you find most uninteresting? That's a really easy question. Mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What is it about? What is it about that makes it uninteresting? Do you know that? I didn't even bother to read the section on mortgages during law school um, exams. And I just, it was just, I just was not interested in it. The mortgagee, the mortgagor, the words didn't even sound sexy. So <laughs> I took a risk yeah. and did not read that section, banking on the fact that everything else I read, questions would come out. And, you and would, I'd be able yeah, to answer. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty brave. <laughs> it was a risk. Yeah. A very stupid risk, yeah, but I took it. But it paid off. <laughs> Fourth question is, name one superpower that you would love to have, and what is the first thing that you would do with it? Earlier on, I had said that um, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required, much is expected. And... When we think of superpowers, we think of the superheroes. 
the, the ones that fly, the ones that have amazing physical strength and so on and so forth. But I want to bring superpowers into our reality. And I need to do that because of a lot of what we've spoken about today, the country that we live in and what is available to us. A friend of mine celebrated a landmark birthday last year and she's a doctor working on the front lines caught COVID. And I told her children that your mom is a superhero. Superhero because she's brave. Superhero because she's saving lives. And the fact of the matter is that it is with our skills that we must look for how we can better the world around us. Maybe all you can do is listen, listen. Maybe all you can do is share your lunch, share it. Maybe you could be in the position of a Bill and Melinda Gates. So I've gone from one end of the spectrum to another, but the point is we all have something to give and we must give it. For me personally, any superpower that I might have would be used to enable people. It would be used to address misinformation. And um, I'm hoping and praying that whatever I have is actually achieving that and contributing to making sure that people are enabled on the one hand and that where fake news is concerned, it's being addressed. So that would be the answer to that question. Yeah, that's a very lovely answer. It's very thoughtful. Um, my, my, my answer would have been eradication of some people. <laughs> <laughs> Look, of some you, 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 the world is made up of different people. You have the good, you have the bad, you have the ugly. And that's what makes the world go around and we need to recognize that you definitely need to deal with some of the ugliness you definitely need to deal with some of the bad and the, as the saying goes what doesn't break you shapes you you know and you just want to be shaped in that way that you can deal better with issues you can help other people deal with those issues no yeah it's it's a very it's a fair point i mean i, I was literally to having this discussion with my mother yesterday that you know there's just so much bad going on in the world and she's like well read this book factfulness by hans rosling okay right okay. and what hans does is he talks about what the media have done the role of the media in the way we think bad news is what sells not good news think of, if you think about any very prominent dispute or fight going on today beyond that dispute or fight going on there's so much more so much good that is being done but that is not the headline right and a negative headline affects your mental state it makes you sad you know and right now the world is in a very difficult place it's not just nigeria everything bad seems to have increased yeah. right and i i it, covid has definitely played a role mm -hmm. in that lockdown has definitely played a role in that and obviously um governments and what have you have also played a role in that right but focus look for the good yeah and it's there yeah I, I, i'll endeavor to do that um going forward mm. <laughs> the final <laughs> question is what is your favorite song and album from femi no fella kuti 
That's a really unfair question. <laughs> I told you earlier that this is a man who has over 200 songs. Yes, that but there, there, there has to be today. one that, you know, you just, an album that you just play and a song that you just, like, this is, this is like, this is your jam. Mm. Okay. My favorite has to be, it's a song, it's a very little known song called Mystique. And it's on uh, um, Zombie, on the Zombie album. And it's, it's, as I said, Mystique live. It's a live recording. Um, and um, the again the beat and what he's singing about um, so that would be my favorite as well as Yellow Fever, uh, yellow fever. <laughs> yellow fever I love the good. dialogue yeah, in there yeah yeah those are good choices you really you really pick good choices with them both Made and Femi and Fela those are great choices man. now any final words before we wrap things up and I let you go and have a lovely weekend um, just to say thank you very much Shadi for this this podcast is really important. Having come to understand what it is you do, the sharing of information, the interviews with um, the different people that you talk to, to keep carrying out those interviews so that we get to learn and we have that information and can use that information to empower others and uh, so on and so forth. So just keep on with the interviews, don't stop the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, man. It's a struggle, I can't even lie, like with my job, and you know, I'm trying to also monetize it, so it's it's really hard, but you know, hearing words from people, like hearing words like that from people like you just is very encouraging, so The good you. news is that podcasts are being monetized now, that's one. The good news is that you've been doing this for a while, so you've got a body of work. The good news also is that the struggle is real, everybody struggles. <laughs> There's nobody that's not struggling, you know. Yeah. Um, when you look at it critically, um, everybody has one struggle or the other, and yeah. you're balancing it. Yeah. So it, you'll get there. I, I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank and, you. Um, <laughs> it has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time and your patience. I am honestly super, super grateful. This means so much to me. And for people who have listened, Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please tweet at the SNC podcast. And you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can discover the show. And of course, share with your friends and loved ones. Ms. Oyewale has shared so much today. And if you have any artist or business person who is trying to grow his or her career, this is something that they should be listening to. Finally, I will do my best to be back in two weeks with another phenomenal guest work agreeing to my schedule um till then please let us continue to stay safe bye everyone this episode is edited and produced by me bola shade anosier theme song for the show and the fun random question segment is by john akinola don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you can stay updated the podcast is available on podbean spotify audio mac apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, anchor and wherever you listen to your podcast Simply search for T-H-E-S-N-C podcast, all one word. You can also check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the S-N-C podcast, still one word. I will do my absolute best to be back in another two weeks with a new episode. As always, thank you for listening and please stay safe.